I wanted to sort of address the purpose of this whole exercise of going through resources that we're going through. I know we've explained it, and maybe we haven't explained it well enough. And um, if you think the purpose of doing this is to flame a few popular resources uh, and ideas like what comes in boundaries or last week with the Enneagram or other personality tests, uh, then we certainly have not communicated the purpose of this correctly. Uh, which, by the way, I talked to Tom yesterday. It sounded like you guys had a way more fun class last week than we, <laughs> than we normally have. I, I really like Tom's uh, snack food uh, personality test that he, that he does. So. Did, you guys, so did you guys all come out about the way you would expect with your snack foods, or was it completely off? Uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody was great. Everybody was perfect? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, the point of all this is to, to show that some of the resources that are labeled as Christian are not at all, at least not truly Christian, as in meaning helping a person to be conformed to the image of Christ, uh, a Christian, uh, you know, being conformed to the image of Christ is being a Christian, which is a little Christ. That's what that word means, and it was a disparaging term at first, but, you know, the church essentially adopted it as being called Christians. But... Uh, the resources do not encourage us to do that and, um, or in meaning in conformity to the Scripture for believers, uh, you know, Christ being the second person in the Trinity, affirming and confirming and fulfilling uh, the Old Testament and the rest of Scripture uh, written by the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So, uh, you know, and if, if resources are not doing those things, then we can't legitimately call them Christian resources. And a lot of these resources that, and ideas and philosophies that we're talking about, they are labeled as Christian and they're popular in the overall kind of evangelical Christian uh, community. They are accepted. They are recommended by pastors. I was talking to people, I was talking to Tom yesterday, and he was saying how pastors are recommending some of these resources. And he was saying that the most, I mentioned that I was going to be going, doing resource this morning, and he said, oh, well, the most popular resources that I get, that I run into in my counseling, which I don't know if you guys know, he probably explained, but he does counseling all day long, every day, up at Trinity Medical Associates. And he was saying that couple of the resources that he runs into all the time, even now, even though they're decades old, is boundaries and the five love languages. And so uh, it's not like these things just because they're older, meaning like, you know, about the time we got married, old, uh, but they are still around and they're still prevalent. And, you know, parents are passing these off to the kids. Oh, this was a good book back when we read it years ago. We never used it, but it seemed like it was a good book. So why don't you guys use it? Uh, and th those kind of things. So they, they keep going. Um, so talking through some of these popular resources is just, these are just examples of what kind of things are labeled as Christian self-help resources, but they don't have much to do with Christ's gospel or God's will or God's word in them at all. Um, so it's meant to be both a warning and an encouragement, a warning of what kind of deceptive stuff is out there that if you're not paying attention and doing the work of being discerning, it's going to be a danger for us and our kids. Because it's not, you know, when you think about, I know some of you don't have kids in here, maybe, I don't know. But, um, you know, if we have children, if we're imbibing this stuff and we're taking it in, what comes in, what we have come in is coming out. What goes in, goes out. You know, garbage in, garbage out. So we take it in and we share those concepts with our kids or they just come out and the way we interact with each other 
and it's going to affect them as well. So we have a responsibility to be discerning, not just because of our marriage. We may have, think we have a, a fine marriage, we get along great, and we don't need these resources or whatever, or we read them and it doesn't make a difference. But if we are going to be affecting our kids well, also we need to be mindful of these things, both in what we read and what we teach our kids, so, and teach them to be wise, teach them to be discerning, so that they can recognize the faults in these things. Now, the encouragement with that is not going to be a new one coming from this class, uh, but the encouragement is more of a challenge, really, to be in the Word and to take in truly scriptural resources. Um, so that when the false comes, we automatically reject it, and our kids are able to do the same. So if we're taking in good scriptural resources, and most importantly, the scripture itself, on a regular basis, we're going to recognize the false, and we're not going to fall for it, or we're not going to be deceived. Um, and that's only if we're in it on a regular basis. If you've read through the Bible, the whole Bible, five years ago, or you've been through SI, or you've been through LBI, or whatever, but you're not in the Word now, it's not going to be helpful for very long. We need to be in it on a regular basis. Now, um, you probably heard before that bank tellers, back in the day when people exchanged green paper that we used to call cash, uh, I know they don't do that much anymore, but they were, the bank tellers at that time were trained to spot counterfeits, and uh, they weren't trained by looking at counterfeits. You don't learn what counterfeits look like by looking at counterfeits. You learn what counterfeits look like because you learn exactly what the, t the real thing looks like. So they would intensely study the real stuff so that they knew what the real stuff looked like, so when something false came across, they were immediately rejecting it. And that's what we need to be doing as believers. We need to be intensely studying the truth and knowing it to the point that we immediately recognize the false. And so that's sort of, I mean, that, that's what we're trying to do in this exercise is sort of just expose some resources, some philosophies, th some things that are out there that are labeled as Christian that we need to be discerning about so that you can sort of, so that we all can think more about how does this apply in other areas? What should we be looking out for? Because honestly, a lot of it's the same. Um, in doing reviews of this, found that they were mentioning several other books, that, and they just said these are very similar. They all have the same concepts in them. And, and some of the things we're going to talk about, you heard Ron talking about in Boundaries. And we're going to, they all have a lot of the same stuff. And they're usually by psychologists or psychiatrists labeling themselves as Christians. And, and so there's a little bit of Bible in there and Oftentimes it's misused and those kind of things. So, uh, so something to consider, just a few thoughts, just one thought and a few scriptures. Um, if you want to open up your Bibles, um, well, maybe not the first one. You guys should know that one pretty well. But uh, maybe go to Philippians 2, and then maybe stick a finger in Jeremiah 17. And I just want to read through a few scriptures here. And then, um, just so you can have those in mind before we get started, sort of looking at this. So, question number one in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. You guys all know, all of you with kids that have been in catechism should know what that is, right? What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So, keeping that as in mind as to that's what our goal is. That's what our ultimate end or our chief uh, desire should be. So the first scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8a, and we've repeated this one in this class 
lots of times. So hopefully it's very familiar. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. In Philippians 2, read verses uh, 1 through 8. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, which you know this, that really means, therefore, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, all this. Verse 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In 1 Peter 3, 7, hopefully this is familiar also, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And one that you may not be too familiar with, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness and land of salt without inhabitants. So that's what's going to happen to the person who trusts in mankind. Starting in verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its root by a stream, it will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. So, um, with those things, keep those things in mind as we're talking through this morning. And we're going to do two weeks on this, and we're going to be talking. We are going to talk about the five love languages this morning. So, has anyone read the five language, love languages? Okay, you have. Okay, how long ago did you read the five <laughs> languages? Uh, 27, good. You got a, a good number there in exact years. And must have been impactful. <laughs> yes. Okay. Eight so, ago. What's that? Eight years. eight years ago. Okay. How about you? Years ago. Okay. So uh, Yvonne and I did read this book probably 27 years ago or more. Um, and it, so, is anyone, so is anyone familiar with the five love languages concept, not having read the book, but you're familiar with the concept? Okay. It's pretty prevalent. It's out there. Uh, it's written by Gary Chapman. Uh, it was written in 1992, which was a very good year. Let's see, early Yvonne and I got married. And um, so we had it right there when we got married, ready for us to go. So that's probably when we read it. Um, so again, I sort of did a little searching, not, not a lot, but looked around at Gary Chapman. Uh, on his website, the only reference to anything spiritual is that he has been in ministry for a long time, while identifying himself as Ph.D., author, speaker, and counselor. It is very clear that his priority is the psychology part of it, not so much the biblical part of it. Um, although 
you hear people refer to Gary Chapman as being a Christian author and stuff like that all the time. And his resources are, you know, in the Christian bookstores. They have been for forever, uh, that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a pretty popular book. It's sold 20 million copies. Now, that's just the original that has sold 20 million copies. It's been, uh, there's, but there's lots more. Uh, he's, he has uh, new five love languages editions specifically, not new, I'm sure they've come out over the last 30 years, but uh, he's got specifically for singles, for military families, children, men, and teenagers. He's got special five love languages books just for those people specifically. You notice somebody was missing. The women were missing. He, did, he doesn't have a specific edition for the women, so I guess they don't need their own edition. Um, the, the first edition may have been geared towards them enough to not need another one. Um, he also, he also listen to these titles, he also has The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, God Speaks Your Love Language, Choose Greatness, which is a book for young men, uh, The Five Apology Languages, One More Try, which is for Falling Apart Marriages, uh, and the Five Love Languages Inspirational Adult Coloring Book. <laughs> so if you're looking for a good coloring resource, I know where you can find it. Um, and this is just a, a short sample of what he has. I counted 80 resources. If you go to his website, hit the store, look down, He's got 80 resources on there. And whoever's doing his marketing should be making a lot of money by him because they sell books like crazy. Um, and it's interesting because he's got like a, a resource button, like a big button that says additional resources for your favorite books. And you click on it, it goes back to the store where it just shows all of his books that are apparently your favorites. Um, so anyway, just a little bit about the marketing and uh, genius of uh, selling five love languages books and such. Uh, also on the site, there's a collection of quizzes you can take to discover how to label yourself and set your expectations. Like, you know, what's your love language? What is your apology language? Uh, those kind of things. Uh, in the five love languages, in his acknowledgments, so to start the book off, there's nothing biblical, nothing about the gospel. You know how Christian author, you know, you, you read a book by John MacArthur or Paul Tripp or somebody, and they're like, I want to thank my Savior Jesus Christ, and, and I want to thank the church that I'm in, and they go down the slide. That's not what we're finding here at all. There's nothing like that in there at all. Uh, but there is, I am indebted to a host of professionals who have influenced my concepts of love. Among them are psychiatrists, blah, 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 those two, two psychiatrists that he's indebted to for his book, his resources. Uh, so some resources that I went, so I did read through the book. I wasn't as committed as Ron was and go through it twice, although I may end up doing that this week, the way I'm studying to teach this, so I'm sort of going through it slowly. Um, but I did read through it, and then I went through a couple of reviews of the book, one by David Pallison. Oh, I forgot to get my resources out. Um, so here's the book if you want to walk by it at the bookstore and not buy it, just walk by it. Just want to make sure you can recognize it when you see it and go on. Um, so, um, David Pallison, um, big in the, in the biblical counseling world. Uh, this book, Seeing with New Eyes, if you have this on your shelf, it actually has a whole chapter that's a review of this book. And it was, it was originally an article that he wrote for the journal of Biblical Counseling, and then he put it in his book as one of the chapters. So... 
Um, so I did use that. He had a lot of good things to say. Uh, he starts out with some of the positives. I think he was very fair about it. He started out with some of the positives about the, about the book. But closer to the end, he's using words like deplorable about some of his examples that he uses in the book. And I, and I would agree. Some of them are, are pretty bad. But that says something because David Pallison is generally recognized to be one of the most gracious men. Like if you read, listen to people talk about him, they're like, he was a gracious man and he just was committed to the scripture and he just wanted to be fair with people and that kind of thing. So it says a lot. Um, so I'll be including some of his thoughts, probably more next week. And then there's another article on, um, it's actually a podcast on the biblicalcounseling.com site. Jim Neuheiser was the guest, and it's called A Kind Critique of the Five Love Languages. And if you're interested in looking that up, it's Truth and Love 292. Uh, so I'll probably be including some of his thoughts too. So um, real quickly, just so you have them in mind, what, what are the five love languages. So uh, particularly those who have read the book, well, let's, let's leave the people who have read the book out of it. The people who have, are, have been exposed to the ideas or are familiar with it without having read the book, can you name any of the five love languages? Okay. Words of affirmation. Yeah, gifts, okay. So without anybody who read the book, we just named all five of them. That's pretty good. Okay, so, so everybody's been exposed. And I heard multiple people saying the answers, so we, we've got it down here. Okay, so you guys have an idea of what the love languages are supposed to be. Now, essentially the idea is that if we are going to talk to somebody, let's say we go to China, and we want to talk to them, we need to learn Chinese well, provided they don't know English. If they don't know our language, we need to learn their language in order to speak to them, right? Otherwise, we're pointing at things and grunting and, and you know, doing silly things to communicate, right? Jumping up and down or something. So uh, that's not a very effective way of uh, communication, and it's seriously hindered. So in Chapman's assessment, assessment, the very same thing is true for the way we love our spouses. Now, just personally, I think that's sort of a stretch, I mean, going from language, from like Chinese to English, and, and um, he actually says, your emotional love language and the language of your spouse may be as different as Chinese from English. So, I don't know, it just seemed a little far-fetched to me, but it's not, that's, it's not the point here. Uh, but we need, he says, we need to speak their love language to communicate love to them. And if we don't speak their particular love language, then we aren't communicating love to them at least at all. In his, if you read his case studies, essentially, if you're not speaking their love language, you're not communicating love to them at all, is essentially where he, gets, where he goes with this. Now, this morning, uh, I'd like to just give you a taste of some of the things that are in the book, to say some of the things he says in the book before we actually get, I don't even know that we're actually going to get to the specific love languages, because you guys know what they are. It's not rocket science to figure out what he's trying to say about using them. Uh, but there are some things in their case studies about how he applies these things that I really do want to address, and I'll address those along the way. But next week, and so the, this week I'm going to cover a few things that, a few quotes out of the book that, that demonstrate where he's going with this. And then next week we'll sort of hit some of those case study things, and then we'll talk about maybe the overarching problems with the book and why it's over, in an overarching way it's unbiblical. Uh, so... 
So he not only is, uh, is your spouse's love language as, possibly as different from yours as Chinese is from English, uh, but he goes on to say that each of the five language, love languages also have many dialects or variations. So just sort of hitting the broad spectrum there when you say that, right? Uh, the number of ways to express love, this is a quote, the number of ways to express love within a love language is limited only by one's imagination. Now, by reason, you know, if you reason that through, of course, reason tells us that if that's true, if the ways that we can show love to our spouse are only limited by our imagination, then the number of ways a person can desire or expect their spouse to speak their love language is also only limited by their imagination, right? And you'll see as we go through this that that's where he's going with it. More so, he is encouraging people to think outside of themselves. There are some good things. I'm, I am going to hit some good things. I'm not going to be completely... I won't trash it the whole time, okay? Um, but, you know, essentially that's where it goes, is I have a love language.